0: That's ixl.com slash BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. One of the best pieces of feedback that I've gotten during the pandemic with the masterminds that I run is that principals are enjoying talking about instruction and not just talking about COVID rules and regulations. It's one of the great things that we get to do in the mastermind is focus on the things that really matter. And sometimes we try to focus on other things, on the distractions that take us away from our vision, but we're always able to come back because our whole goal is to help us get our schools to where they need to be. So I would love to have you in there. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about it before. You probably have questions. Just go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind and let's set up a time to call, to talk about it. That's jethrojones.com slash mastermind, and then click on schedule a call. I look forward to talking with you. Again, that's jethrojones.com slash mastermind. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have on the podcast today, Paul Marble. Uh, he is has served his entire career as a teacher and administrator in three Massachusetts high schools, one of which is Sturgis, where we have talked about this before, Sturgis High Schools, where Eric Heiser was the executive director for a while, and he was on the podcast. He was um, episode one hundred. 14 and 115. So here we are, 300 episodes later, on episode 415, uh, talking with Paul Marble, who's now the principal of Sturgis. And I talked to uh, Eric a a while ago, and he said that Paul was doing amazing work. And so Paul has also done numerous presentations on the IB program. Um, He's been a site visitor, IB workshop leader. He helps uh, IB teachers from across the nation support diverse learners in their classrooms. And he's also developed and led teacher workshops for the IB organizations Bridging the Equity Gap Project. So, um, and I'm sure there's a ton more that you've done that we might get into today, Paul, but welcome to Transformative Principle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you because um, we've had several people who have been involved in IB on the program. And what I love is that IB, while I don't know that it's necessarily the best way to teach. It is certainly a way that is very clear what you're trying to get at. So people have probably heard about it, but if you wouldn't mind giving just the 30 second overview of what IB is and how we can understand that to frame our conversation today.
1: So the IB educational framework is a little over 50 years old now. Uh, It started initially to help students who had traveled abroad from the United States, uh, be able to have a baccalaureate style program in 11th and 12th grade that would be recognized back home in terms of college uh, acceptance. And uh, and from the college perspective, Uh, there was also early integration in terms of the United Nations and the idea of sort of a peacekeeping element. Uh, So for uh, the first stretch, and I forget exactly for how long, but I'm gonna say 15, 20 years, the IB was solely the, called the diploma program. It was an 11th and 12th grade program of studies that had exams at the end of that two years. Over time, other programs have developed as well. There's a primary years program for younger students, a middle years program for like in the six, seven, eight, nine. Um, over the past five or 10 years, there's also it's what's called the career path, the career program that's developed. That's you know a bit like technical education combined with a diploma program. And I think all of the programs, you know, have at, at their core uh, students in, in uh, is this something, for example, called the learner profile, it's things like knowledgeable, inquirer, caring, balanced. You know, I can say as a high school teacher at one point, administrator, you know, th- those types of qualities aren't necessarily something that are often explicitly talked about and nurtured, particularly as you get into the 11th and 12th grade, you know, often rigor equates with you know, stuff and uh, grades and such. And the IB really has a nice balance of of the head and the heart. Uh, And they really help to develop a lot of inquiry skills. And they set the stage for students to become self-directed learners in a much more explicit and embedded way. And also it's quite cross-curricular, even at the high school level, which is also unusual. Typically, in my experience, schools in 11th and 12th grade Students can often kind of end up going to different corners of the school to have their experience uh, and stay within those corners of the school. I call it pre-majoring. You know, I'm I'm an English person, so I'm going to be in that area. Um, The IB really um, demands and inculcates a sense of understanding the different types of knowledge uh, and how they connect and how they differ. differ. And so it really develops students who are very self-aware, who communicate quite well, who understand that the world is complex. They understand that the world is global and that other people have different points of view. And knowledge is developed within that framework as opposed to, well, I'm studying for a lot of tests and getting grades, and then I'll become a good person outside of that. It really is all well or co-developed.
0: And, and that's one piece that I really love about it is that it, it really focuses on all aspects of a child's learning, not just the academic piece. And so that's one reason why I keep on having people who are involved in IB programs on the transformative principle, because it's so important to pay attention to that. And uh, my connection with IB came when I was a district coach and was working with the school to implement IB middle years program in their school. And uh, the conversations, having been a teacher at that school previously, and then working with them to implement um, IB was amazing, the conversations they were having, because uh, we were a very siloed school. We had an advanced program and a, you know, just a regular school program there, and it became these two different silos. And what the IB program did is it brought everybody together and started breaking down those silos. And, you know, that is so important because we don't need more division in our lives. We need more connection. So I want to transition into talking about how you've handled the, the pandemic and what you've done at the school things that became more important over time and things that became less important. And so we're just going to have a a conversation about that and not necessarily to cover every single aspect, but we've all been uprooted by the pandemic. And I want to get a perspective about what you've seen that has been, you know, really impactful in your uh, career. So You know, things changed a lot. We went online and that kind of thing. So what are some of the things that you've seen that made you really grateful that you had the IB program that just put a light on how important it is for everyone to have? And then we'll talk about some of the things that kind of got in the way or made it more difficult. But let's start with the positive.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. I appreciate being able to talk about the positive stuff. Uh, I think to preface
0: that, what I would like
1: to maybe bridge in terms of what you just described about the IB and the silos That really is kind of, that type of reality is at the heart of why the founders of our school, the the parents who wrote the charter explicitly said IB for all. And because all of our students, regardless of past personal circumstance, are gonna take all of their coursework in the 11th and 12th grade in the IB program. We're a public school and so admission is done by lottery. And approximately 14% of our students are on an IEP program. So they have special education services and all of those students are taking all of their coursework. And as a result of our construct, we constantly have to be focused on how to develop the kinds of skills that we were just talking about, Jethro, in all students. Whereas traditionally, if you look back to the, even in the IB world, and this isn't, you know, um, my perspective, this is what I have learned, you know, over the first few decades of the international baccalaureate experience, it more often than not was being offered to students in elite institutions, uh, often that had come from privilege. And very frequently, there were screening mechanisms and such. And so it it sort of was a double-edged sword, this idea that the kids who were best at school were the ones who had access to this kind of schooling that really helped students blossom as people and it's like well well, why should only certain kids get that and so that's part of the beauty of of our mission and one of the reasons why i've stayed for so long is you know it really how how can all 850 of our students develop these qualities and so to to your question the pandemic has been a difficult transition for everybody Um, i would imagine in all schools across the world uh, the, the, the the social disconnection, the physical disconnection, the human isolation, all of these things are real. Technology bridges it to an extent. You and I are looking at each other here uh, without any travel. I wonder and worry about our incoming ninth graders because they don't have a base of what Sturgis normally feels like to draw upon. But the flip side of that is, and we, you, you mentioned we start off with the positive, I've been heartened that our 11th and 12th grade students, and I've heard this directly from them and read it in some of the surveys, because of the relationships they had built with their teachers in their earlier years, because of the the type of learning and communication that the IB you know, demands or inculcates or what have you. I think, in some ways, it's demonstration that they've been able to put themselves in a position over time to manage this, to build on those relations, even though sometimes the screen glitches, even though they're in their home for the fourth or fifth or sixth day, you know? And so it's it's not that the IB itself is necessarily about relationships, but the IB is about humans and people and getting to know each other and, and look, understanding point of view and at our school, so much of how we develop that is to try to model that as teachers is to recruit and retain teachers who understand that building relationships with the students and helping the students to ask questions and reflect and open up. Like those are the kinds of teachers that are going to allow 14, 15 and 16 year olds to end up trusting themselves and trusting the environment. So, you know, I think a silver lining has been that, you know, by focusing on relationships in order for students to really access the IB program those relationships do transition over and in fact we've you know, we just did a student survey a week or two ago and uh, one of our principals sent out uh, a survey a, Question or a response, that didn't have a name attached, um, but it was the student who was just so appreciative of what she could see her teachers were doing to offer. And, and, and I certainly would imagine that that's true around the country and perhaps around the world, but there's something about that IB-ness that like, if you're gonna translate an IB style of classroom to a computer, there's still gonna be, so Jethro, what are you seeing here? You know, what's the, is there a different way to look at this? How do we know? Like that, that richness, that authenticity, that like not just the guiding questions at the back of the chapter that maybe you and I experienced uh, back in the, in the middle school and high school, the fact that the IB is not the guiding questions at the end, but it's a matter of making connections with the people who you do see. I do think that translates now. Maybe to pivot to the negative, uh, that's also very challenging in this realm, you know. And so I think, um, you know, in some ways because IB teachers have that higher calling they feel to really make these deep connections and to build a sense of community and to have a lot of rich communication and dialogue and a lot of inquiry. Everything is a thousand percent harder. I I, I think people, you know, miss what isn't there, but I think to answer your question about the IB transitioning, I think because the IB is about meaningful humanistic elements to begin with, then we can by continuing to tend to that, still keep the IB alive. And I'll quote myself, you know, when I was talking to faculty at the beginning of the year, you know, I had said, we we can't give kids the surges that they wanted or we want, but we can give them the one that they need right now. And I think that there is a need for the IB and, not to make things political, because that isn't my intent, but after the the Sedition Act on the Capitol, that was one of the things that I wrote to our community, that if you look at the IB's values about a better world, about understanding where others come from, um, you know, about the learner profile qualities, every day now we're seeing all the more reason why an IB education is needed, because our kids need to improve the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a lot in there that I could um, dissect and talk more about. I want to, I want to speak to that last issue though, because I think that really sums up what I think you and I as educators are trying to do, which is we want kids to be able to engage in conversation with people who believe differently than them so that it's not about us versus them, but it's about a conversation. And all that I've seen over the last several years is continued polarization So that rather than seeing people for who they are and seeing their values and ideas for something else, it's all about lies and untruths. And when really it's about perspective and again, not to be political, but the frustrating thing to me is that especially with the election, this or the transition this year, you know, people have been doing this fact checking for several years now and saying that this person is quote unquote lying. And that is not always the case. It's not always that black and white. And if our media is teaching kids that it is that black and white, it's more valuable than ever for us to teach kids that it's not that black and white, that people have different perspectives. And what this person may believe to be true is perfectly valid based on their experiences, their life, and what they've been exposed to as it is for this other person to believe that is different. And there's so much divisiveness and being able to bring people together in a community, I think is so important. And I I appreciate how you started talking about the challenging piece of having conversations with kids when, you know, like your ninth graders, they don't have that connection to everybody yet. And so they're still figuring that out and getting connected John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. So what are some of the things that you've done to make those new students to your school feel more connected during this time when it's been so hard to be connected?
1: And then I'd like to actually kind of expand upon something that you just said after that, if you don't mind. Um, so that's been the probably the, the the biggest challenge for us this year. Uh, Particularly because uh, we're a regional school, so we have students that come, I I think we're the largest geographical regional school in the state of Massachusetts, so kids come to us from across 800 square miles. Most of them coming in as ninth graders really don't know each other. Um, So we did uh, devote some early programming days, um, allocated time that would ordinarily have been school days, to try to do some, um, some ninth grade tending to. Uh, in smaller groups, giving an overview of, you know, culture, giving an overview of athletics, giving an overview of how to get involved. And, you know, the IB has something called creativity, activity, and service. It really wants students to be involved in in a number of things, but not just in that sort of rat race, fill out your college application style, but in a really meaningful balanced style. You know, we had a lot of our our school leaders speak directly to uh, our ninth graders to try to help them get uh, an impression of, you know, how inclusive we are as a community. Uh, another piece that we have been working on is just recently been uh, developing and implementing a, a mentoring program where we're going to be matching some of our uh, older students, eleventh and twelfth grade, with ninth graders in particular. And that was an interesting venture, Jethro, because it was one. It wasn't just a school or administration you know desire or thought. We had uh, older students who wanted to develop that. We had parents who were looking for that, and so that was a real cultural want and need, in particular, because we often, in a normal year, we usually have multi-grade level advisories, 9, 10, 11, and 12, because we want to do that cultural transmission. So some of it is programmatic, like we just mentioned. Um, and then a lot of it was, you know, we spent time norming as a faculty coming into this year about what were going to be our focus points this year, because that was over, that's overwhelming. When you think about, you know, the IB curriculum, and how many components there are. And as a former English teacher, you know, how much content there typically is and how many exams there often are of all different uh, types. And when you start to think of all the normal curricular demands that 12th and 11th graders have, teachers couldn't do everything, right? And they're really, at that point, we didn't know exactly what the IB was going to shave off. Um, And so we had to try to give people some guiding principles. And some of that was, look, go back to the IB mission statement. That's way more important than the exams. You know, go back to some of the aims of the program. That's way more important than the exams. So we really, like we we have taken off mid-year exams in general. Uh, we may do that for our final exams as well. Teachers have been, you know, uh, able to create assessments that, that they think work and are appropriate that are connected to the IB. Uh, but we're not going to sweat ourselves with the stuff. You know, we want to help teachers focus on the relationships, focus on... Um, the state of the world, focus on uh, a lot of what the kids are experiencing in terms of seeing play out in front of them, in terms of social justice. So a lot of these elements, I think by our teachers focusing on students and those inner qualities of the IB, my hope is, this is a little bit more indirect, Jethro, but my hope is that that helps the ninth graders too by comparison with what it would feel like if they were just sort of having, you know, uh, algebra lesson one, algebra lesson two, Algebra lesson three, but I, I kind of wanted to say uh, uh, something if you don't mind going back to what you had just said about you know misinformation or um, sort of media slicing of the, the, the world and truth. I, I, I again think that our, our IB students are better off than I am as a, a non-IB student, or, or that you know their parents might be in some ways. All all respects offered because the IB program has a couple of key questions and kids don't really learn you know, to answer you know, what questions, they learn to answer by what means questions. And then to your point, they, they learn to answer to what extent questions. And so maybe in the middle years program, I don't know it as well, but I can tell you that our ninth grade students from the first day they're in all of their classes, they're learning to think and to listen and to navigate questions of how and to what extent, and those are not questions that you know even in the um, the news programs that might have three or four panelists, a question might be asked, and chances are that question is not a how and to what extent, and usually the questions aren't being, or the answers aren't being discussed were navigated in terms of to what extent it's all to your point very polarized so i don't worry so much about our iv kids in terms of fending for themselves in terms of the misinformation in history they learn what are the origins what is the purpose what are the values and what are the limitations of any source that they see and that's a that's an ib construct and so when students are learning that you know th- th- they're always going to ask what extent is this true how do i know it it's not a a skeptical, in the sense of like I don't believe in anything, kind of thing. Oh yeah, what is it? it it's a skeptical in terms of what what an enlightened mind would want to be. Oh, this is interesting. Where did this come from? So, I think that 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 gives me a little bit of a, a, you know a smile and a heart in the middle of a pandemic when you know school is so different than it normally is. I think by offering students the the best IB experience that that we can in this realm, we're still promoting the things that are actually most essential in transition you know, most fully to whatever they're going to do next. And it's less about, okay, how does the normal game of school translate or not translate to this digital realm?
0: Yeah, boy, that was beautifully said, Paul. I really appreciate that. And and it really isn't about how do we get school to work in a digital environment? It's really about what can we do to prepare our kids for the future that none of us can predict? And what are the things that we need to understand and skills we need to have and I think a—I would use the word critical instead of skeptical—that a critical eye for what it is that you do with media when it comes to you. And so this is a, a piece that I—I I keep coming back to again and again. That it's the test about content knowledge isn't nearly as important as the test about how to react to information or how to digest information. Um, And those two questions, the by what means and to what extent I think are really powerful also. Um, In closing, Paul, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you?
1: (laughs) I reject the premise of the question, at least the last part of it. Um, Yeah, I don't know that I am, uh, and it's not false modesty. You know, but I can say that you mentioned Eric Heiser, my predecessor, and he was a transformative person. And I know that part of what he always modeled for me was a a sincere appreciation to understand where people were coming from. He combined with he also said he would try for the win-win. He didn't feel that things always had to be binary and there had to be a sort of a winner and a loser in a situation and, and those two things stick with me. And I can say that I, while I honestly don't think I'm a transformational leader, I think I'm, I'm constantly asking myself, you know, what's the difference between the transactional and the transformational in whatever dilemma that I'm experiencing at that moment? You know, so I think, you know, in my role now, I supervise two principles. And in some ways, that's the most explicit coaching that I do. And I think, for principals who are listening to this podcast to think about the people that they have the most active coaching role with and to remind themselves that they have a, a lot of power in terms of how open they are for listening, how attuned they are to the the people that they're supervising, you know, their, their willingness to, I think one thing I am good at is I'm willing to be, you know, uh, see things from different points of view and to admit when I'm wrong. And, and I think I'm fairly humble. And I think those things all, Go a long way, and so I, I used to think I used to worry a lot about you know having the right answer when I you know was thinking about potentially being a principal or replacing Eric, and I stopped worrying about that now. I I just try and focus on listening to people and understanding where they're coming from, and then my IB experience kicks in, and I'm you know I've become pretty good at logic and picking out logical fallacies and emotional language and all of that stuff. But most of the things that I encounter aren't imminent emergencies. Most people that I speak with don't need me to have a solution and an answer, at least not immediately. And I've learned to trust that gut instinct that tells me when something does need to be responded to quickly and when it doesn't. And over time to to know that my own gut instinct and others' tenor or tone are likely not going to match and to be okay with that as opposed to at the beginning, I always felt pressure because of the intensity with which somebody brought this concern and the language that they've used that I had to respond. And I think what I've developed over time is a is a is a disposition to want to almost slow down in reaction to the intensity of somebody else and and really you know just kind of. Pause in terms of being transformed. I always view the opposite of transformational as transactional. And that just means that this has to get done and it has to get done quickly. And you know, maybe the best way to to, to move towards transformation is to value it and to remind yourself on every case: like, is there is there an opportunity for this to be transformational and win-win? And that's what Eric did for me with every interaction, just always coaching me to see: is there a way? And so maybe seeking out people that have that mindset or reading books with people that have that mindset, TED Talks, uh, making little notes for for yourself, coming back to that mindset. Because mm-hmm. one of the biggest gifts I ever had was the ability to work closely with somebody who saw the world that way. And then you see the power when people feel trans. I felt transformed because of the leadership that I received. And I want to give that back. And, and I don't know how to necessarily, but, but it's a goal of mine. And, and I know that I don't have all the answers, so I'm going to have to listen to others in order to try to even scratch that surface. So I apologize. I was a little sprawling, Jethro, but hopefully you can uh, cut that up and make that a little more concise and in, in telling.
0: No, that, that was good. I think everything in there was good. I, I really appreciated the piece about uh, you going down as people are escalated. Um, I, I learned that myself um, several years ago as well. And I will never forget a time when a parent was so furious at me that he was in my office yelling and screaming at me and actually got mad that I was not rising to his level of intensity. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm doing this right. If he is so frustrated that now he's not mad at the situation, he's now mad that I'm not overreacting like he is, then I I definitely, I think I won that battle. That was uh, really good because... Previously, when I first became an assistant principal, the culture in the school was that I would run when somebody had a problem, the principal and assistant principal run to the location and magically solve it. And I quickly realized all that did was amp up everybody else in the school. When they saw the leaders running, they thought something must really be going on if they're running. So I quickly learned I shouldn't run ever. And so I stopped. And guess what? It was fine. Like it didn't ruin anything. So Anyway, I really appreciate what you shared. Thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. It's been so good to talk with you. And thank you for sharing what you've learned and sharing it with others. I think that definitely goes a long way to paying back what Eric did for you as well. So thanks again, Paul, for being part of Transformative Principle.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play in Control, SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy and it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.InControlSEL.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes.
0: Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments, you can do it all. But don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time.